Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's bi-weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing recorded at the PW offices in New York City. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm also co-editor of PW Comics World, as well as the graphic novels review editor for Publishers Weekly and the editor-in-chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm their podcast producer. This week on More to Come, BNN stores closing more of same. Uh, a new CEO for Warner Brothers. Uh, Kalista Brill uh, on the uh, first second blog about when to quit. Uh, Kyle Baker uh, offers up uh, some of his classic graphic novels for free. And textbooks go graphic, but really it's a study about comprehension uh, of graphic textbooks. So let's jump to Barnes & Noble. Well, Uh, I guess this is uh, more of the same. I mean, but uh, just a story came out in the Wall Street Journal where the CEO of uh, Barnes & Noble really just laid out how they were uh, closing. They hope to close 200 stores over the next decade, which um, that's the optimistic end of things. So so it kind of just quantified a lot of things that, that had been drifting around out there, I guess. Yeah, they, you know, physical stores are in decline. Um, you know, Barnes & Noble isn't going away, uh, but Barnes & Noble is going to be very different, obviously, in 10 years and 5 years than right. what it is now. But you know what? They've got about 700 stores roughly now. Um, they'll have 450 to 500, they say, in, what is it, 10 years? We'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there are actually other regional change that actually seem to be doing very strong books a million uh, through the South. So we'll see what it what it means. I mean, really, uh, I think P.W. Uh, Jim Milliot, my boss, I think he uh, wrote a piece earlier uh, in 2012 that they were going to be closing about 15 stores last right. year, which is right. exactly what they did. And in fact, most of these stores are basically unprofitable stores or stores with unwieldy, um, uh, more uh, uh, excuse me, leases. Right. Um, so uh, and. We're also BNN is kind of in the midst of transforming itself really into a digital company. Right. Right. Uh, they've had a they've had some success right. with it, although the the holiday sales of Nook devices well, weren't nook, quite what why, they Why do you think they the, the Nook was such a schnook this uh, this holiday? <laughs> well, it's interesting because actually the devices are way better than they yeah. than they've ever been. Yeah, they seem to be, and they're actually at a very sweet price point compared to Absolutely. Uh, the iPad. Absolutely, and the devices that I saw actually are really quite good. Um, really, every platform is living in the shadow of Amazon and Apple. At this point, and particularly Apple, when, you, when you're selling tablets, right. um, I mean, Amazon obviously has has some juice, and, and I'm st- and most uh, most people are not ready to count BNN out just yet. Remember, they have a strategic partnership with Microsoft. Microsoft uh, has dropped, um, you know, I've forgotten the exact figure, but it's somewhere in the neighborhood of five to six hundred million dollar investment in in BNN. Right. Um, uh, I, they obviously are working together on some technology issues. Uh, I think one of the first things that came out of their deal was um, a Windows 8 app right. for the Nook. Right. Um, and they've been very aggressive on the digital side in getting graphic novels on the Nook. Yeah. So, uh, but obviously, physical stores remain a real problem for the book publishing industry. Mm-hmm. They're really looking at, I mean, at the end of the day, 
bookstores, physical bookstores, are the best places to discover new books. Well, one of the interesting things in the Wall Street Journal was that, uh, you know, some mall guy who is a uh, leaser for a mall said, you know, this is still the kind of uh, tenant that we want to have. They're nice stores, they draw a nice clientele, they have a nice, you know, retail experience. And I, I, I mean, I think that, you know, the bookstore is evolving, obviously. I, I mean, it's gone from this kind of hangout where there weren't any hangouts to Ooh, yeah. to becoming, you know, everywhere that has Wi-Fi is a hangout now. So, um, you know, they've kind of, <laughs> that part of their model uh, yes. has become a little outmoded. Kate, when's the last time you went to a Barnes & Noble? Uh, Christmas shopping. Yes, and did you enjoy it? Yes, sort of. I mean, I went in <laughs> over Christmas as well, and I, I mean, I, I went into same. one of the stores here, and I was a little surprised at how dingy and I mean, well, well, I mean, that's interesting you say that because certainly the stores here in New York, uh, you know, are are pretty high tech. They've all been kind of transformed. They're all, in fact, they're kind of nook centers now when you walk into them. Um, But you know what? What the other thing that what Barnes and Noble is trying to do is trying to use the the showrooming uh, syndrome to its own effect. I mean, the showrooming effect is obviously people go to independent bookstores, find the books because physical bookstores are the best place to find books. But then they buy online, and they buy very often from Amazon. Well, of course, BNN has six, seven hundred right. stores right now. Uh, they indeed are a retailer as well. So they, what they're trying to get these people to indeed showroom and then buy the books off of the BNN platform. We, we'll see how successful they are. But there is certainly an advantage to having a physical space for marketing to some extent, both for books and for the devices that they're selling now. Right. right. Uh, I have to say that, I mean, as someone who is not from New York or a big city, who is from the suburbs, that, you know, the Barnes & Noble experience is still really good there. I mean, there's nothing really to compare. You don't have the Strand. You don't have similar large right. independent right. stores to compare it to. Independent stores are usually a local used bookstore or something like really small and niche. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it's nice. It's it's like a well, island of nice in a in a regular suburban mall. Right. Right. You know. I mean, book lovers like it. I think even if maybe they don't buy there as much mm-hmm. there as they used to. Yeah. Well, so. you know, when, when Barnes and Noble really started growing big, I mean, one of the things that they did was to take the superstore concept, was, or was to initiate the superstore concept, massive stores. But really, they were actually imitating independent bookstores. They really, it, but they could just do it at a much bigger level. Right. A deep backlist, carry all kinds of books, um, and really to turn your store into a place where people want to come and hang out. Now, they took it to you know, a mondo, to oh, a yeah, corporate absolutely. level degree. Absolutely. Um, so, they, in many ways, have kind of defined a bookstore experience for us today. Mm-hmm. As Absolutely. a place, to, yeah. And like as Kate says, I mean, you know, like we're jaded here in the New York uh, environment, but you know, in the in outside major metropolitan areas, there's no question but that the Barnes and Noble is a real bookstore experience for people, yeah. and you know, still still something of a social center. But the digital media analysts, when they look at Barnes and Noble, they see also see a huge legacy business with uh, a declining print bookstore side that has some uses but really just looks like a lot of costs dragging down their results. Um, we will see what happens. I, yeah, they need I, to work on their business model. They can't just coast. No. Well, they are doing. I mean, they are trying yes, to change their business model. They've changed the, the mix in their stores. If you go into BNN today, they sell more games. They sell more uh, non-book toys. toys so are not huge. Toys. toys are huge. Well, they sell I mean, a lot of non-book items. I can see why because KB went down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so most malls don't have a toy store mm-hmm. if you don't count like the giant Toys R Us. Mm-hmm. So. 
I can see how they would try to cannibalize that bit of the market right. that would be open That's to right. them. That's right. Sure, physical because, objects. Because absolutely. people go into stores to buy gifts for kids because they buy them books and oh look, we have the matching toy. Mm. We have every toy. Right. Right. But, right. I, I, but that I t- didn't work for you know Tower Records. They yeah. No, no, it didn't. I know. And you know it may not work for Barnes and Noble, but you're really going to see an industry wide. Uh, effort to try and support them in any way they yes, can. Yes, absolutely. Because uh, once they go, it's th- it'll be interesting Amazon to see all the way. Yeah, it's going to be so, really interesting yes. to see where the the physical bookstore world. Well, goes. you know, speaking of okay, well, speaking of digital, uh, the head of uh, Warner Brothers Digital, a huge surprise in mm-hmm. Hollywood by uh, when Kevin Sujihara, who is the head of home entertainment and digital, uh, emerged from a three way bake off to become the head, uh, <laughs> yeah, and he came out against the television head of television. Bruce Rosenblum and the head of the studio, Jeff Robinoff, and everybody thought this was Rosenblum's to to lose because Warner Brothers is the biggest uh, supplier of television on television. So uh, he has a tremendous track record, and Warner Brothers even gives usually the studio the CEO job to other people in television. So for Sujihara to come out uh, on top is a real shocker. Um, uh, supposedly it happened because he was a little bit more genteel yeah, than the other that, two. This is uh, amazing. Well, In Hollywood, well, well, really, he you know, was Jeff because he's a nice guy? Yes. yes <laughs> and Jeff Robinoff has a incredible, uh, incredible um, reputation as, uh, well, somebody called him the, the front stabber. You know, they said Jeff doesn't even <laughs> no, bother to stab you in the back. He stabs you in the front. Oh, dear. <laughs> but, uh, and, you know, Rosenblum, uh, unknown. But, I mean, I think mm-hmm. really what, even why we're talking about this is that Kevin Sujihara was once the directly in charge of DC Comics. And he really? was also in charge of all the DVDs, the directed DVD movies yeah. that have been made. Uh, in recent years, so he he was actually in charge of uh, you know direct direct report to him. So he knows a lot of people. He certainly mm-hmm. knows all the executives at DC. I mean, he's many many levels above them now, but he's certainly very aware of DC and their characters. And um, you know, I think I think that's what Warner Brothers needs. They're so far behind in the movie race. I mean, even today it was mentioned that the Warner Wonder Woman pilot. That might have been a goal for fall. Was uh, not. I mean, it's still a, in the mm-hmm. works, but it wasn't ready to go. It's mm. still in development. Uh. They just have everything in development. And as, as somebody pointed out to me, uh, you know, the important thing about those direct to DVD movies is that they exist. You know, they, I mean, they, they, yeah. yeah, I mean, that, that's really cool. they fairly successful? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. they may not be as as high profile as something that makes it its way onto a network, but. There are lots of them. They right. sure haven't. crank them out, that's money. for sure. And haven't they been doing, uh, I mean, so many of them have been storylines that aren't even that well-known. Like, didn't they do the Sinestro War? And, uh, you yeah, know. and they're actually mm-hmm. things that then sell well, even mm-hmm. in the regular market. Like, I was actually on the way into the office, walking past the electronics store, and they were playing the brand new oh, Dark, Dark Knight, yeah, they did Dark mm-hmm. Knight Returns Part 2. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, clearly this is drawing people to... DC stuff, right? So the right. top guy might actually know actually or even know possibly comics. care well, I, you know, about he comics? Well, I, I think, know how to deal with I it. I think he kind of knows how to deal with it. And I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I, you know, I, I mean, I'm just guessing. I have no inside knowledge. Yeah. But I, I think that maybe that was a little bit of, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. you know, because hurt. that's, it can't hurt. It can't hurt. Yeah. So, you know, interesting times. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. that's really as far as as you know superhero business goes i mean that's really the 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 hugest story is warner brothers inability to get anything going to keep up with with marvel and disney and you know marvel and disney are just barreling ahead they announced they're going to do a doctor strange movie you know i mean they're on fire they're on fire they're just 
and you, D- DC doesn't need mm-hmm. to be on fire, but they need something. <laughs> they need it. Well, they need a they need a spark. They need a spark. They need something. They need something <laughs> other than. This time we swear Superman will be dark and edgy. <laughs> Please buy tickets. Yes, yeah. Um, and you know, they have a Justice League movie on uh, that is, everybody swears is going to get made, and they have a script in development, they have no director. I mean, you know, this should be job two after Star Wars. I mean, when, like, who was direct? Who will direct the the Star Wars movie? You know, J.J. Abrams. Abrams. I mean, Disney ruthlessly went down the list. I, apparently, he had turned it down earlier. But anyway, whatever. I mean, they went down the list of everybody's top ten, you know, fanboy movie makers, and settled on J.J. Abrams. Bam. You know, DC Warner Brothers needs to do the same thing with the Justice League movie. They need to go down the list. Uh, okay, if you can't the afford person, the top ten, just then get, go down to the top. Can we get 20. Josh Whedon to do JLA too? Yeah, But I mean, I mean, how hard is it to not hire Martin Campbell? I don't know. So anyway, interesting. Who yeah, is okay. Martin Campbell anyway? He directed Green Lantern. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, uh, from Warner Brothers to um, first second, mm-hmm. or really, actually, the first second uh, blog and, the, and their editor, Kalista Brill, when to give it up. Now, there's an interesting discussion that seems right. to be going on around this. Right. It seemed to be a weird uh, attempt. To, to, to tell the fans or to tell wannabe artists or potential or aspiring artists you know, to think harder about what they do. I mean, my own take on it is is that publishers shouldn't be doing this. You should not be telling artists that they, they to give it up. Right. What I think she was really doing was saying, think hard about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, be professional. Right. So on and so on. I mean... That's my take. Well, I think it, you know. She said that if you're getting lots of negative feedback, maybe you should rethink things. That it's really hard. I mean, if this is all, I mean, if this ignited a Twitter war, and I mean, everywhere it became like, a, you know, how dare they? And you know, I mean, there was some real like, like if you talk. About, there was like, how dare they dash the hopes of people putting out comics? You know, all they do is put out shitty comics anyway. It's like I, it seemed to be a lot of dashing of hopes of people who wanted to work for for a second after that. But, but I mean, it really <laughs> yes, became yeah. this dichotomy. And, yeah. And I, I mean, just as someone who was um, who was a professional comics editor at one time, I think it was the reaction of anyone who ever has to go through a slush pile. You know, sometimes you want to just tell these people, give it the hell up, sure. people. I mean, I think the problem is that too many people hear stories like J.K. Rowling's and think that they should just send the same thing in 40 million times without taking the side lesson of, yes, persistence, good, but persistence plus learning her good, not right. sending the same thing out. But, you know, it's it's just not up to publishers, in my view. Or the commercial well. side of any creative business. It's not up to you to issue no, uh, manifestos no. of discouragement no. No. Uh, to the creative community. Being an, art, being an artist or create, be, making art is not about a rational life choice. No. Uh, it really isn't. Um, and you know what? Um, if you've ever done it, if you've ever tried to be an artist, if you're any good at all, you don't really care what anyone right. says to right. you about right. how bad but you are. I mean, are. I think, listen, or, I, I mean, you people... I mean, and you shouldn't care about I, I, that. Yes, but I will say this. It's like, you know, if you get a slush pile, which, I mean, even in my email, I mean, I don't, Calvin, I don't know if you get it, but I mean, I get every day, yeah, I get, I get all these people, people sending me all this weird, weird... Yeah, weird I get crap. stuff all the time. Weird crap. Yeah. And I mean, they're very... I, I mean, of course, I'm not going to say give it up, but I mean, mm. 
also, it's tempting. It's I mean, tempting. You, and I mean, I think people need to have some kind of... I, 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 I mean, I'm not saying exactly what, what she wrote was the perfect thing, but I mean, I don't think... I, th- I don't think we should be so afraid of saying not everyone is going to make it, you know? I, well, in, in a level that is, like, s- satisfying, you know? To yeah. them. And I, I, mean, and I, I hear what you're saying. Dreams, but I'm also saying we can't afford to give all of our resources to every person, you know, equally. Well, I really, I agree. I mean, but my feeling on it is that, you know, if you're a commercial publisher and you're looking at this, I mean, it's, it's your job to tell people that, you know, I'm not going to publish it. Right. Yes. <laughs> it's exactly. not your job yes, to tell them, you know, hey, no you need to work can. harder or you need to listen to what your feedback you're getting from here. I mean, that's not your job. Well, I mean, <laughs> I think it's, it's not unreasonable to suggest to somebody that it might be beneficial to their career to listen to feedback. But true, you know, you're presuming, of course, that these people aren't listening to the feedback. I, don't I mean, know. you don't, don't really know. That's what happens when you issue a generalized, pan-discouraging manifesto. Right. You know, your 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 sweep is so broad. Your message is a little bit meaningless. Right. Your most effective message really comes to someone who's right in front of you, whose work you've seen. Right. Uh, right. The notion that you know you think people are lazy in general. I don't think, you know, it's not well, your job. I, I, I'm not, you know, listen, I'm not uh, I'm not averse, though, to the idea that at some point we have to have a little triage, you know, because I don't yeah, think... Yeah, I'm all for that, too. I don't, the question is, who's we? Well, exactly. I mean, I just think we is an industry, you yeah. know, and I mean, we are really, comics people are all one big people in a lot of ways. And I mean, just the fact that people who, you know, who do proudly self-publish and who do have day jobs and who really do do it for love and for art thought that a message that is coming from a commercial New York house is really aimed at them. I don't think it was. You know, they took it no. so personally yeah. because they do see it all in one time space continuum of comics. So, anyway, I mean, well, I, it's, it's, it raises a lot of complex issues. Yeah, sure, it does. And, it does. And, you know, and I thought Chris Butcher's response. Yes. Uh, now, his response was essentially that that she was a little bit imprecise, that maybe should have been more, more specific, that this was aimed at, you know... Uh, People look trying to get, trying to get going to be commercially published, as opposed to people in general right. moving toward some you know creative aesthetic right. possibility for yeah. the, their own future. Right. Uh, you know, I think there's some truth in what he's what he, mm. he had to say. I, I mean, I think at the end of the day, the best when you've got bad work in front of you, yes, the best thing you can do is say, "Look, we can't publish it, and here's why." Right. Right. Uh, and you should, but you should never say like you'll never go anywhere, kid, because that's no. going right to come right back. You can't do that. You don't know. That's going to come right back at you. That's <laughs> now, what. Yes, but um, you, you know that said, I think the other reason why this hit such a nerve is because I think uh, there's a lot of anxiety out there about yeah, money, and I mean, I hear so many people like who, who. I mean, there's been a huge comics boom, but guess what? There's not uh, unlimited. There's not unlimited money going around. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like there's not tons of, of new book deals going out and everything. And I hear everybody saying, oh, you know, I want to get something else. I want to get into children's books or illustration. I'm like, really? I mean, you know, that's not very, um, you know, that's not really where we're at either right now. Those are both the fields that are way harder to get well, into and make a living at. But a- anyway. But I, mean, I think we have to also keep in mind, I mean, one of the things about creative, any creative discipline is that, once again, it's not a rational life choice. Right. You, you're, you're moved to do this. You are driven to do this. You, you, you know, it's an act of faith in your own talent. Right. It's not a rational choice. Right. Now, at some point in that process, you when, you're looking, when you're looking for commercial feedback, then yes, then you've got to start making decisions. Am I good enough? Right. 
And believe me, reality will let you know. Right, right, right. So, anyway. So, maybe the, <laughs> the message was a little unclear, but there were parts of it. That but, you were... know, it is actually always good to talk about this. I personally feel like there's an explosion of people trying to show you their stuff. Hooray. You know what? Reality will take care of right. the rest exactly. of it. Exactly. But, you know, we're living in a golden era where, you know what? Really, it's up to you getting your stuff in front of somebody that likes it. And that's really the only thing that's keeping you And one you thing that actually opens the gate more and makes it a lot more practical is the fact that you don't need to gamble hundreds or thousands of dollars on your fledgling work. Yes, you no, can, You can go on the internet. You can test you can it and get feedback. Things. Well, not only test it and get feedback, but have the early stages of your career and the early stages of your publicity in an environment that does not come out of your pocket as much. Yeah, right? absolutely. And I mean, I certainly admire, you know, a lot of the efforts that go into First Second. And, and you oh, know, yeah. I think they've done a, a lot of books that I really enjoy. Yes, they have a fine publishing and, program. Yes, yes. And they're very well-meaning uh, publishing program. But, you know, the reality is that, that uh, just as we're talking about with Barnes & Noble, is that the New York publisher is the arbiter or the gatekeeper. I mean, that whole idea is gone. It's also. over. It's over. I mean, <laughs> if you want to reach an audience, that's what Tumblr is for. That's what yeah. webcomics are for. That's what Twitter is for. Yeah. That's what Facebook is for. Come up with an excuse also, to tag it Loki and people will reblog yes, it. And also, exactly. just because you don't like an editor's blog doesn't mean that they they publish bad books. Right. <laughs> exactly. Okay. okay. And, and as far as, as bad <laughs> feedback from publishers go, I will say this is relatively kind compared to things that Absolutely. I have seen coming out of certain science fiction publishers that will remain nameless, right. which would condemn whole genres, saying, no one should ever write this, no books that come out of this genre are ever any good, you guys should just stop sending us any, because they're right. terrible. Um, yeah. this, it could be worse. Yeah. You know, there are First two, there are two myths that like animate the book publishing industry. One of them is that there's, there's, uh, there's way too many books, there's way too many books, and they're all crap. Yes. And, and the other one is that um, the book that's, re that's rejected by uh, uh, every house in the city, and it's some lucky sucker takes a chance and publishes, and it's a huge success. And you know what? They're both true. Right. They are. <laughs> yeah. There's no rules. There's no Both there's no things one happen gateway. all the time. There's no one pathway anymore. <laughs> there's too Absolutely. much stuff. It's all crap. And books that were rejected can be great. For any reason you can think of, get published and find a huge audience. So. So. Well, speaking of <laughs> books that get an audience, and speaking yeah. of finding ways to get your work out there, um, there, Kyle was, Baker. There, there was, yes, Kyle Baker, Calvin, yes. he decided to put it out there. Absolutely. Uh, really, well, Kyle Baker, really uh, kind of a pioneer in sort of publishing graphic novels. Um, uh, he's opened up his website, and he's got about seven books up there that he's giving away for free. Um, but they're also, they also happen to be really, uh, really some of the more innovative um, and kind of groundbreaking books of the time. Um, uh, what's the kind? I, I, for, oh, why I hate Saturn, why I hate Saturn. Saturn. The Cowboy Wally. Uh, the Cowboy Wally. You are here. I mean, these yeah. were really delightful and unusual books, and they were published at a time when you weren't seeing a whole lot of original graphic Absolutely. novel publishing. And I mean, it's kind of hard to get a sense right now of how groundbreaking they were when they came out. But um, yeah, there was very few, like uh, Cowboy Wally and. Uh, why I Hate Saturn are both social satires, and uh, I mean there just wasn't anything that was coming out. Uh, Cowboy Wally Show was published by Dolphin Books, which yeah, that's that was really early. I mean, yeah. It was very odd for a, a mainstream publishing house to publish a, gra yeah. a graphic novel yeah. at that point. You never even heard the word graphic novel. But um, anyway, but Kyle has made that decision uh, along with one of his more recent books, actually, uh, Special Forces, which came yes, out from yeah. Image and some of and his Matt other Turner. 
Which and is a Nat fabulous... Turner. But you know what? Only the first half of Nat Turner, which is kind of interesting, because that book was published by Abrams not that long ago. So, I, I, I mean... Uh, and he Kyle, might have had to make a deal to get even yeah, that much. Yeah, well, uh, interestingly, uh, Kyle says he's negotiating a new publishing deal, and mm-hmm. I, I think just... You know, basically, he told me that he had had them up there on his website for a while, but not getting much attention. And then he put like a Facebook share button on there, and then and everybody started <laughs> sharing. So uh, got the buzz out there, and uh, obviously that'll help with a uh, negotiating for a new deal. So yeah. you know, it's like you got to take the tools. But sometimes you got to give away the jewels as part of the tools. Yeah, know? absolutely. So, and I really, I mean, why Saturn really is a, and it's an almost pitch perfect. Uh, uh, Parodic kind of recreation of the '80s dating yes. scene. Yes. I mean, uh, you know, I I see myself in some of the well, <laughs> in some uh, of the scenes some in of that the book. Scenes in there might even have be because uh, yes, let's just say you know Kyle and I used to hang out all the time. There in you that go. Period. And uh, <laughs> there might even be a couple things that and I. And, and, that and if I may say so, I mean, uh, for me, it was spectacular to see uh, as a major protagonist in the book. You know, you know, uh, you know, a black guy. Right. You know, right. At, at the time, it was really unusual. Uh, it's real crisp, love, funny dialogue, and of course, Kyle's just a wonderful illustrator. So. Yeah, but uh, now, now, Kate, are you have you read the the see? Because Kyle and I are talking from nostalgia. Well, I, mean, yeah. I, I have bit, seen so. Kyle Baker's work. I have not seen these particular oh, books. Okay. So I've read books he has written, but these are not among them. And even You Are Here, which is like a screwball comedy. It's a most screwball. Yeah, yeah. And then, which, uh, uh, yeah, King David. I mean, listen, bottom line, Kyle really is a cartoonist who's had a wide-ranging career for uh, almost 30 years. I mean, he started in his teens Mm because he was so talented. But, I I mean, it's amazing. He has a whole body of work uh, that spans 20 years. Uh, you could read and it maybe for free. Maybe it'll get a little more buzz, right? Mm-hmm. Where you can get it for free. But you know, the point is, hold on to your stuff, keep the rights. You can leverage it. Do not yeah. sign away your rights uh, to your material. Um, and you know, someday you can give it away for free and get more money out of it. So you never know. You never know. <laughs> All right, moving down the list. Uh, textbooks go graphic, or really, um, uh, a recent oh, study um, has shown that you know perhaps. Graphic novel textbook, yes, America, the concept does exist. Well, this is interesting <laughs> in that a Oklahoma-based uh, professor did a study called Graphic Presentation, an Empirical Examination of the Graphic Novel Approach to Communicate Business Concepts, uh, where he took 140 graduates of a business school and gave them a textbook that was in graphic novel form mm-hmm. and a textbook in textbook form and discovered that... Um, the students retain the information much better who read, or not much better, but better who surprise, read the graphic surprise. novel. And uh, one tiny note on this that uh, uh, implicating implicating matter is that he used his yes. own textbook. Yes. So that's a little teeny tiny, uh, maybe. As in, he wrote it himself. Right. He wrote yes. it himself. But you know, proof of concept. So uh, you yeah. know, I mean, obviously, yes. he's trying to push his own uh, work here as a model of what can be done. But uh, I mean, if these results hold up. And peer-reviewed studies and so on. I mean, this is yeah. uh, this is something Scott McCloud's been talking about for you know twenty years. Again, just and most mm-hmm. recently, really, how visual communication is becoming a new form of literacy, and uh, this would really be a boon. You know, all those jobs we were talking about mm-hmm. before. Like, if suddenly major corporations decided to put all their uh, 
all their informational materials in comics form, there'd be a lot more jobs for cartoonists. Uh, this is true. Well, he, you know, he, he put the first book together, Atlas Black, uh, Managing to Succeed. He put this all together with, uh, I actually with some. Have seen very, that. Yeah, it's a, yeah. Well, well, we've done a couple of stories about it yeah, on uh, Publishers Weekly. I, I was wondering. Um, yeah. uh, he put it together with a, a couple of professors. He was originally at Texas Tech University. I think he's at University of Oklahoma now. Um, but he worked with uh, some very good artists. Unfortunately, I'm trying desperately to find the name of the artist, but it's a really well done um, uh, artist study. The art is very well done in the book, but really does this methodically go through all of the business management practices that you need. And he's used it in his classes over, year, over the years, and he, the books can be bought through Flat World Knowledge which is a very interesting uh, company. It's a kind of an open-source textbook company. They created a new model. Uh, they originally gave away their textbooks for free online and sold digital supplementary material on, on all kinds of material. You could get chapters. You could get it as an audiobook. They have recently changed that model, but all along they've been selling this comic mostly as a PDF. But it's turned out to be very popular, but a, as they say themselves, it is a bit of a hard sell to old-fashioned professors who don't necessarily uh, or, or aren't used to necessarily basing a course around a, a comic. Uh, that said, uh, this study might help and, it along. Yeah, I mean, even if they don't necessarily use it as their main textbook, might make professors consider, or, or just school teachers consider, adding something like that in as supplementary yeah. material. Because right. the professor, Jeremy Short, just says immediately that, you know, People will read it. They're yeah. really excited. And, and I mean, uh, uh, this is a growing body of study that shows how yeah. um, information, not storytelling, both fiction and nonfiction, about how they are perceived in comics format. And um, I mean, it's it's an emerging field of study. Let's put it that way. There was recently uh, a, a peer-reviewed study that showed that people read comics in the same way they do a sentence. I mean, yeah. um, I know Francoise Mouly at Toon Books has uh, you know accessed a lot of. Uh, a lot of studies that have been done mm. about how kids read. I mean, she did a lot of her own empirical mm. Uh, mm. research. I mean, so, so far, yes. a lot of this is very empirical for people who are trying to get their own projects, uh, you know, out there more. But, uh, you know, it is pointing in a direction. And I just feel that there will be more, the, you know, more, uh, what's the word, independent research on yeah. these topics. Yeah. And we're certainly... Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I feel huh, vindic- I feel we'll be vindicated. I feel that oh, that role of comics oh, yeah. as an educational tool will be proven with the with the brain scans, you know, that show <laughs> your your uh, hippocampus lighting up when when you look at Betty Page. I mean, you know, yeah. all- <laughs> no, you know it's, it's just as you said. I mean, uh, Francois's books are put together with reading specialists. Yes. I mean, they are actually graded. I mean, I'm, you know, a lot of kids' comics are said to be all ages. Yes, that isn't how the rest of the book publishing industry works to publish for kids. You work with educational specialists to make sure that right. the, books, the books are targeted to very specific age groups. So she's really worked at that. Uh, uh, but on the other hand, it's interesting. Uh, friend of the show, Jody Calton, and I. Uh, friend uh, of the show. Friend she's of the show, but uh, in I have it uh, on good. They're more than friends. We answer to that. I was going to say, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, I was going to give a, a full disclosure. She's my wife. But she did a, uh, a 15 page comic explaining the Adorino microchip, um, nonfiction comic, because she teaches. Multimedia design, and just as Jeremy Short was looking for an antidote to boring textbooks, that's what she was doing. She was trying to come up with a way to 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 transmit highly technical information in an easily accessible, entertaining form. And she tried her hand at comics. Did a 15-page comic about programming the Arduino microchip that went viral around the world. Now she's doing 
more comics, information comics mm-hmm. for Make Magazine. This is a, this is a small example right. of a much bigger right. trend in syndrome. Well, you know, uh, I, I mean, we've talked so many times about nonfiction comics and um, the, you know, the power they have. Uh, a couple of books coming out even uh, in the spring. We just did our announcements issue. I oh, yes. didn't even mention. Maybe next time we'll talk about that yes, a little bit. But uh, one of the books on there, I'm such a big fan of, um, How to Fake a Moon Landing by Daryl Cunningham. And he is an English cartoonist who has been doing these kind of debunking <laughs> comics for years. Yes. Like, for instance, he debunked um, uh, homeopathy. <laughs> um, oh, he's uh, debunked the idea that... Uh, that um, vaccination causes autism and okay. I mean he goes in and he does scientific uh, research I mean he backs mm-hmm. it up and he's drawn a very simple approachable nine panel grid uh, he uses photos mm-hmm. he uses a little bit of montage I mean they're really really accessible and mm-hmm. you know very easy for anybody to read these and see you know what he's talking about in these scientific yeah. terms and so you know I mean there's more to come on, yeah. on this I would suggest people go to the Flat World Knowledge website and you can just google that and uh, do a search in their catalog for Atlas Black and for Tales of Garcon which is a, a separate um, graphic textbook yeah. aimed at teaching franchising uh, yeah. a very important part but you can go into the um, you can call up the, the, the catalog entry it'll give you all the chapters and it'll break it down it's a very methodical look at business principles behind it done in the form of a really vivid and readable graphic novel and you know it's, it's almost like there's nothing new under the sun it's just that it has gotten forgotten because if you look actually a book that came out in the last couple of years you can see um, Will Eisner's informational comics that he did for the army um, absolutely. Oh yeah, I mean, absolutely. 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 All absolutely. kinds of of informational topics in yeah. you know, humorous, beautifully mm-hmm. drawn comics. Yeah. So nonfiction comics coming to a classroom near, near you. you. Yes. Okay. Moving on. News briefs. News briefs. Warren Ellis is back. <laughs> <laughs> Not that he vanished, but right. from comics mostly he yeah. did. Acclaimed Eisner-winning comic creator Warren Ellis has announced that he is coming back with a new comic called Scatterlands. Now, he has not disclosed what it will be about, who will be publishing it, or whether it will be an ongoing or a graphic novel, but uh, he has announced it, and he has also announced his artist, Jason Howard, known for Image's Super Dinosaur comic. The Batmobile is having legal issues. <laughs> or rather, unofficial Batmobile replicas are yeah. having legal issues. For all these years, um, there have been a number of garages specializing in customization that have been putting out your very own Batmobile replica without paying any kind of royalties to DC or the original designer of the Batmobile. And they are arguing in court that it does not count as violation of copyright because it is a useful object and that useful objects should be patented, not copyrighted. And therefore, they can sell their $80,000 Batmobile replicas from a place called Gotham Garage without uh, owing DC Comics anything. Can they even call it Gotham Garage? <laughs> well, they do. <laughs> yeah, right. um, DC has a bone to pick with yeah, them. Bet. We shall see. <laughs> the Sixth Gun, the uh, independent comic, from Cullen Bunn and Brian Hurt from Oni Press has been picked up by NBC for a pilot in the upcoming season. It is an Old West sort of 
mythical curse gunfighting sort of book. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting. Good for Oni. Yes. And one last thing on a more traditional note, going non-traditional, Marvel has announced that their new X-Men book entitled X-Men contains yes. no actual men. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it will be written by Brian Wood and the team will conti- consist of such classic X-Men as Storm, Kitty Pride, Rogue, Rachel Groy, and Psylocke. Oh, and also Jubilee. I guess X-Woman is a... Well, I mean, on the other does hand... Does it suggest, like, you know, transgender or something? Well, I mean, given the teams have always been called X-Men... That's true, that's and true. ...and have always contained women... You know, just why not? Just why can't you just have a team? Yeah, you know, I, I, so I, I, I like that they saying. were well, they didn't just throw any female no, characters but I, into this. You know, we've talked about this many times. Like, uh, there's always so much outcry about DC doing things. And, you know, Marvel, uh, so once in a while they get caught with some, like, that Mary Jane statue years ago. But really, they, they make oopses, but oh, yeah, they, they appear to be trying. <laughs> they, they really are trying. I, I mean, I think they're doing more than trying. I think that's a really great idea. They, you yeah. know, they did yeah. the Defenders were mostly female, too. I yes. mean, they've done yeah. Well, that hasn't come out yet, but I can't wait to see it. Yeah, there's a couple <laughs> of teams, and, you know, they just keep trying with that. And, um, you know, I, I, I like Captain Marvel. I mean, they've really gone ahead, yeah, and, yeah. and they are really trying to uh, appeal to the geek girl segment yeah. and you know and I, I think they're I succeeding to a large yeah. degree well Be- yeah because I mean I will say in my own empirical mm-hmm. circle sure. of friends who you know they read DC and Marvel equally I hear a lot more squawking about would you believe what DC just did <laughs> than Marvel <laughs> um, not that they never squawk about Marvel but generally it's DC that, that they end up head desking over mm, right right well yeah and the thing is that that Marvel really just kind of goes ahead and does it. So, anyway, and doesn't really yes. excuse it. So, make excuses for it. And nor do they actively rile up the female population at every town <laughs> they go to. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that Dan Didio is, is a terrible human being. I'm just saying that <laughs> that. Can we quote you on that? Go ahead. I said I'm not saying <laughs> yeah, okay. that, but I am saying that his his PR approach when it comes to half of the human species is unusual. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it there. All right. Uh, and Picture Box is starting its own manga label entitled Ten Cent Manga. Although they will not, in fact, cost ten, 10 cents. cents. They will cost about uh, several hundred times ten cents, yeah. as I understand it. But very likely, cheap, cheap but at any price. Yeah. Yes. But it, this is real interesting. I mean, we've really come a long way uh, in the manga market, and and I use that to plug our manga feature, oh, which yes. is coming up in February. But um, indie publishers now seem to be publishing the most groundbreaking, adventurous, interesting, and experimental manga. Well, I mean, um, it makes sense. Then the manga publisher, and there was a time when I used to uh, joke with people that the only thing that fanboys uh, and um, and the indie comics guys uh, actually agreed on was that they both hated manga. Well, but the funny thing is, if you ask these people, they'll still be like, oh, I hate manga. Oh, but that doesn't count. That's art. Yeah. Right. But now you have drawing quality, fantasy graphics, vertical, and now picture box, well, I, obviously, I which it, kind of did right. some manga before also but, I mean, I think it, <clears throat> in its own after-tone fashion. I think well, it makes sense, because when it was just the manga publishers in the United States who were just the only people publishing manga, 
they had a very specific business model, and the less mainstream manga just didn't fit it very well. And so when they would try something less mainstream, they would feel it had failed because it didn't come up to their commercial expectations. But an art publisher is expecting um, a lower profit business right. model exactly. and lower sales, yeah. and will adjust their overhead accordingly. And, you know, I think they can then turn a profit on these. Yeah. And which is awesome comics. because mm-hmm. these are amazing books. Yeah. I mean, the ones I mean, you wouldn't that, see them otherwise. No, yes. I mean, Verticals come out with so many great ones. Fantagraphics line, and you know, Absolutely. even um, uh, you know, Viz is doing some stuff that's pushing. Yeah, that's true. A little and, bit. Yeah. and, and uh, uh, Drawn uh, Quarterly, mm-hmm. of course, yes. mm-hmm. incredible. And so on a similar business model, um, a lot of the streaming sites are making deals with anime companies to bring out anime in the United States that you you can't get on DVD, that they wouldn't be mm-hmm. able to afford to bring out on DVD. Yeah. That, you know, they they put them online, they get sometimes questionable subtitles. Uh, <laughs> one of them has a, some very interesting uh, anime on them, um, Vicky.com. Oh, wow. Um, actually has, for some of their much lower margin titles, has a sort of crowd-sourced subtitle editing feature where if you think their subtitles are wrong... Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) You can, um, and indeed, sometimes their subtitles are strangely punctuated and interesting. But even so, you know, that they're bringing them to us in a form that is paying the original creators and, um, you know, adjusting business models to fit the demographic. Well, changing. People are, you know, the old ways... Both change. Absolutely. <laughs> Just yeah. like the Avengers lineup. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. As so, the Avengers yes. lineup has always. <laughs> yes. And, you know, our upcoming feature on manga in our February 11th uh, print Publishers Weekly will look into all of these and more uh, trends in the manga business and yes. try to get to the bottom of where the manga market is headed. So... Anyway, oh, so there's that more was a plug. There is more to come. There is definitely more, more to, come. to come for sure. 